0: Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now. And planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy, and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.
1: As the new year unfolds, make it a year of comfort and indulgence with Minky Couture. Wrap yourself in the lap of luxury with our exquisite blankets. Picture the cozy moments, the warmth of our premium materials, and the stylish designs that define Minky Couture. Welcome the new year with the ultimate in comfort and sophistication. January is your month to embrace luxury. Visit MinkyCouture.com or your nearest store today. Elevate your comfort, elevate your style with Minky Couture.
0: You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're
2: a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing
0: has begun. It's bad with money. Hello, I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money, a podcast about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you and we're all learning together. Creative people and money. The biggest question I've had as someone in the arts who also needs to have money to live is how? Just how? When I first got to New York City and then especially in Los Angeles, I truly did not know how people did it. I'm serious. That's how naive I was. I really could not figure out how people made short films or went to so many auditions or had so much time to write without having a day job that ate up all their time. I really didn't know. I had to figure out that people come from money. That there were people that didn't need to work because they came from generational wealth or their family covered their rent or even were doing jobs that they felt shame around and so they just didn't talk about them. Like, it truly did not occur to me that people were lying about working in retail or at restaurants in order to seem like all they did was show business stuff. And especially it didn't occur to me that people were doing sex work until a potential guest on Bad With Money in 2016 told me they couldn't come on the podcast because a large portion of their money came from escorting. So I just assumed that everyone who was working in Hollywood was able to work harder than me. And other friends I've asked to come on the show felt shame in the opposite way. They didn't want to admit their parents funded their artistic endeavors. People's money to make their art came from places other than just they are working harder and are smarter than me, which is what I thought for years. By the way, I was working day jobs and doing sex work, but I had some idea that I was the only one struggling and like I was convinced that I was somehow deficient, which is what the taboo of talking about money does to all of us. So if I had known any of this, Maybe I wouldn't have hustled as hard at the expense of my mental health. Maybe I would have had other people to talk to to get advice from. Maybe I wouldn't have convinced myself that everything I enjoy doing needs to be monetized. That every moment not working was money flying out the window. Because without any structure for my outside creative pursuits, I was up working at all hours of the night to make up for the time at my 9 to 5 when I couldn't be doing my art. And where I assumed everyone else was doing their art all day, waking up at nine and going until late in the evening, burning the candle at both ends to do their art better and more efficiently than me. My therapist says that that's egotism, not where you are egocentric, but where you seem to think that everyone cares about what you're doing and is doing better than you. (laughs) Anyway, I'm working on it. Now, in 2022, I think the creative world at large has a better idea of how much art is worth and how much goes on behind the scenes. Like, I think people are talking more openly about money and that is actually helping artists to figure out what they actually need to be spending their time on. And during the beginning of the pandemic, I saw a lot of interesting posts about how people who would have dismissed creative pursuits as useless spent day after day consuming all the TV and movies they wanted so as to escape the horrors of the world. We turned to art for comfort. Maybe art is essential. You hear that, schools cutting music and theater programs? When things got hard, we needed art. This episode, I talked to my friend, comedian and actor River Butcher about the realities of being a creative, quote unquote, and what even a day job, quote unquote, means anymore. This interview with River is so funny and informative and it made me rethink so so many frameworks of society. Even the questions I'm asking are philosophically broken down by River, so it is a great chat. <laughs> I also talked to Paco de Leon, author of the book Finance for the People. Paco is similar to me in the sense that we're both determined to talk to as many places as possible, as openly as possible and share as much financial information as we can for free in order to counteract the gatekeeping that permeates this industry. Which is kind of like what I mentioned before. If I had had people like Paco talking about this stuff openly, if I had had me from the future talking about this stuff openly, perhaps I wouldn't have destroyed my body and my mind trying to, I don't know, quote unquote, achieve, be the best, work harder than everyone else without any knowledge or idea that people had more privilege than me. Paco gives us useful and practical advice you can walk away from this episode able to do. So before we get into my very charming, very entertaining, very mind-bending interview with River, let's get into it with Paco.
2: My name is Paco De Leon. I run a company called The Hell Yeah Group, and I am an author. I just published a book called Finance for the People.
0: So, yes,
2: two things. One, what is The Hell Yeah Group? The Hell Yeah Group does really two things. One of the things is what you are experiencing right now inside of your ears. I go around the internet and I talk to people about money and I write about money and I draw pictures about money. I basically have a background in financial planning, business consulting. I've been a debt collector. I've had lots of different jobs in the financial services and I wanted to share that with as many people as possible because financial financial literacy is not really it's, you know, it's not something that's taught in schools. And especially for marginalized folks, you know, I really want I felt privileged working as a financial planner and I wanted to set that information free. And the other thing the Hell Yeah group does is we have um we have a bookkeeping agency called Hell Yeah Bookkeeping. So we run the books and do the accounting for a bunch of different creative businesses.
0: Oh, that's so cool. Um, h- how does that work? Like if a business wants to work with you guys,
2: we normally work with like production companies or creative agencies, anything that's kind of an agency model or where there's multiple clients and multiple jobs, like an event company or a design company. Uh, they could just hit us up, just go to our website, hell yeah, com, And then you can just send us a note.
0: So, uh, what is your book is, uh, finance for the people. So what does finance for the
2: people mean? To me, finance for the people means giving folks as much information as I can.
0: How did you get started in all of this? Like, how did you get started being a financial planner and, and a debt collector? And what's that like?
2: People always react to the debt collector when I drop that. <laughs> it's, uh, okay, so I studied finance and economics in college because my time was running out. And, you know, I it was like 2006. And it seemed like a lot of people were making a lot of money and you didn't have to work that hard. And I was like, cool, I can still play music. I can still hang out with my friends and and I'll be able to pay my bills. So honestly, that's how I looked at it. And, you know, coming from, an Im- you know, um, coming from parents of immigrants, I felt like they didn't say I couldn't study art or study music, but that was sort of implied. You know, they, they came all the way over here. I wanted to do something that seemed, you know, practical. So first I tried to get a Job as a teller. I couldn't get a job as a teller. And then I saw this position that said credit manager at Bank of America. And I was like, credit manager, great. And I signed up for, you know, an, an interview. Uh, stand in a long line. There's all these people interviewing. Then you sit down at a table and th- it's the weirdest interview because they tried to like do role playing for debt collecting and I was terrible at it. I was like, no, you don't want to pay. Uh, okay, thanks. You know, like, I was terrible <laughs> at it. <laughs> And the job didn't say debt collector. It said credit manager. So I didn't even, you know, I was like 19 years old, didn't know what I was getting into. But I learned a lot at that job. I learned how credit worked. I learned that people were, you know, they were uncomfortable talking about money. And I was at that job for two years, 20 hours a week, all day, like all those hours. I just sat there on the phone asking people for money. And that's how I got comfortable talking about money.
0: So, like, you got to see people at their most uncomfortable talking about money or their most desperate, kind of.
2: Yeah. And, you know, we had all these rules we had to follow to be in compliance with the law. You know, and one of them, one of the things we have to ask is, why are you late on your payment? And sometimes, often the answer is, I can't afford it. And, you know, so I also got used to hearing that.
0: Wow, that's so interesting. So, maybe this uh, will lead into this next question which is how do you choose the topics for your book or how do you choose for financial literacy what you think the average person needs to know or have better explained
2: so i approach the book with my financial planning background so when i was a planner we had basically steps that we lead everybody through it's you know making sure that you have a budget in place making sure you have an emergency fund planning for retirement caring about insurance tackling debt and for higher level, you know, trusts and wills. So I use the blueprint that I learned in school and then applied in the workplace. And that's all that practical stuff. That's what you're seeing. And then I brought in all this other stuff, like, you know, thinking about decision making and ways of modeling that and ways of thinking in that way. And then all the emotional stuff, you know, dealing with our beliefs and our emotions around money that came because I've struggled myself, but I just saw capable people with excess cash not making the quote unquote right decision or the, you know, the correct decisions with their money. And I wondered what's, why do we not act in our best interests? And a lot of times that's has to do with how we feel about money or, you know, what our narratives are.
0: So, I mean, just from hearing a lot of people's stories and, and from, you know, your own background and find like. It's interesting because if you're studying finance in school, I imagine you don't hear half the real life or realistic depictions or stories that you would hear as a as a debt collector or even a financial planner, right? Is there like a huge disconnect?
2: Yes, there's definitely a disconnect between everything you learn in your finance classes, your financial planning classes, and the reality of boots on the ground. Somebody is struggling. How can you help them? In school, it just feels like you're in the worst, you know, like math class where all the problems are word problems, you know, like train A leaves from station in Connecticut at 1040 train B leaves. But, you know, instead of trains, it's, you know, you know, Charles and his retirement and six point you know, 7% return. So it just feels like math problems. You learn how to use like a fancy calculator. And then in the real world, it's like a a, a husband and wife uh, are sitting across from you and there's one breadwinner and there's one person who keeps uh, running up the credit card. How do you navigate the reality of that situation where these people are in a relationship and they love each other and they're trying to make this work, but they keep running up against this maybe emotional or psychological issue. And of course, the math and the dollars and cents matter. But, you know, there is a level of emotional intelligence and bedside manner and understanding people are people uh, that you have to use when working in financial service industry.
0: So um, how would you define wealth for the average person?
2: I think that that depends on each person. So I know a lot of, I think, average people in my life, and some of them have inherited $100,000 when they were 21. And so to them, $100,000 isn't wealth. For somebody like me or for a lot of people I know, they would never inherit $100,000. And so when they amass $100,000, let's say by the time they're 37, 38, a bit older than their peers, to them, that is wealth. If you're in a creative career,
0: how can you ever like feel the stability of being like, okay, I have
2: enough. I mean, the best advice that I could give to creative people who are maybe earning a bunch of money one month and then nothing the next month is to really understand what you need in terms of your, your own personal income, right? How much do you need to pay your bills, to spend a little bit of money so you feel like you're a human that has joy in their life and to put away money for the future. So the hope is some months you're making a lot more and then you pay yourself what you need and then the next month even if your business doesn't, you know, make any money that month, the hope is that you've made enough that you can continue to pay yourself.
0: Yeah, to pay yourself the same amount every month so that you're not thinking, well, I made 16,000 so I should spend 16,000. That's like the hardest part for me. <laughs> what sort of creatives do you, do you work with mostly?
2: All sorts of creatives. I mean, I work with creatives who, like I mentioned before, work in production companies. So you have filmmakers who are doing storytelling for organizations like Nike and Google. But I also work with, you know, a lot of friends of mine are kind of like single person creatives, like choreographers, dancers, artists, actors, and, you know, everything in between. And, you know, I wanted the book to speak to as many types of creative folks Exists. Definitely get into the habit of saving. And for the self-employed, there are two different buckets that you should be saving every time, uh, every time you earn money. The first is a tax savings account. So if you are self-employed, you earn all the money, but you also have to pay your own taxes on that money. And depending on how you're set up, it you know it might be self employment and inco- uh, self employment taxes, or you know you might be running payroll at the end of the year, and you're going to have to pay in your taxes. The bottom line is, every dollar you earn, you should be saving a portion of that into your tax savings account. So if you don't have a tax savings account, what you should do right now is pause this or Keep listening and go online, or go to Capital One or get in your car, go to Chase or the local federal credit union, wherever you have your your business bank stuff, open up a new savings account and you're going to call it your tax savings account. And you're, we're going to come up with an equation and we can use a general rule of thumb. Disclaimer, I am not an accountant. I just know enough to be dangerous to myself and others. So you want to talk to your accountant. But the general rule of thumb is if you save anywhere between 10 and 30 percent of everything you earn, that's 10 cents to 30 cents of every dollar into that tax savings account, then you, quote unquote, should be covered for your taxes. If you're not fully covered, you might be partially covered. And oftentimes you have more than enough. The point is to start where you are and to build that habit. And over time, what you'll see is that money starts to accumulate. What you'll see is your investments start to pay you dividends, which is such a gnarly thing. You're just walking around, enjoying your life. And that money that you've made only once is now starting to generate and earn money. And that's how you start to build wealth.
0: So what is the pyramid of financial awesomeness?
2: The map for the hero's journey. Every block in the pyramid is basically a chapter in the book, and if you go through all of these chapters and do all these exercises, in a perfect world, you go up the pyramid and you achieve financial awesomeness. Of course, there are circumstances beyond our control. Right, a parent gets sick, or people get divorced or a global pandemic happens. So
0: that's something that you came up with. But um, what is Paco's Law or anti-budgeting, which is also something that you came up with from your book?
2: Yes, Paco's Law states that however much money you have in your account is how much you will spend. What does that mean? If you have $100 in your checking account, you'll spend the $100. It's kind of like the Parkinson's law, I think, was like work will expand to however much time you allow it to expand to. Oh, God. And that might not be true for everyone. It might not be true for everyone. You know, I think some people are good at not spending all the money they have in their account. But Who are you? Right in. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) At me, right? Yeah. Uh, That's why when I look at like the anti-budget, I... Ask that people open up a separate checking account. I know I'm asking you to open up a lot of accounts and it seems stressful, but to me, I mean, it makes your life easier because you have buckets for all your money, putting the amount that you're allowed to spend, that you're allowing yourself to spend uh, for fun in the fun account.
0: It helps me to have different accounts for that reason. Also for taxes, it's really helpful. Um, that's just another tip. Uh, I put all of my business expenses in one account. I put That way I'm not going through and being like, this was business, this was this, this was this on the same account. And um, for things that are automated, I have a separate account. So I, I actually am a big fan of having a bunch of separate accounts. Um, I know it does seem stressful, but it actually makes things less
2: confusing for me.
0: Uh, One other thing that I liked about your book is the discussion of can I afford this versus how do I want to spend this? So how are those two different?
2: Can I afford this feels very rooted in scarcity, in the scarcity mindset, right? And how would I like to spend this? Just that naturally feels abundant. Like you've given yourself permission to think about the potentiality of the money. And so I, you know, I'm a big fan. I'm going to sound very Los Angeles. I'm a big fan of like how you are energetically with your money. It matters, you know, it it definitely matters. So if you can reframe it as how do I get to spend this? It's very abundant and it just makes you feel good. And it's energetically overall good.
0: We are a bunch of LA assholes on this show sometimes. It really comes through. (laughs) How does debt affect creatives differently?
2: I don't know that debt affects creatives any differently than it affects other human beings. I think debt is challenging for a lot of people because the narratives that we have around personal finance up until very recently are if you're in debt and if something bad is happening to you financially, it's your fault. I think it's important to understand that those are the narratives that we've maybe internalized and that it's time to really pause and to unearth those stories, examine where they came from, both personally and at a societal level, and to understand that this concept of debt is actually, you know, it's been with us for a really long time. Humanity has had this concept of debt, like paying a debt to the gods, owing a debt to society. It's just that the financial system has you know, come up with a way to um, make it intertwined with our money, right? This theme. If debt is used to not finance everyday expenses, it can be used to leverage building wealth. So, you know, I think it's important for us. Terrifying. Yes.
0: Terrifying. This is like when I started investing and they were like, you can use margin. And I was like, I don't trust it. I don't trust it.
2: I think margin is margin is kind of sketchy. Margin is much more risky than, say, the 30-year mortgage, you know?
0: Uh, yes. So having my mortgage, yes, for sure. But but I was like, oh, as, as soon as I saw that that was what that was, because I didn't understand it, I was like, turn it off. Turn off the margin, um, which is where you're basically investing using the bank's money. So if you're actually just starting to invest, please go, <laughs> I would say, turn off your
2: margin. It's so scary. <laughs> I agree, I agree, I agree. It's cosine.
0: Well, I was saying like debt for creatives, right? So like friends of mine who um don't have health insurance, so you know they're having extra medical debt because of that. Or um people who studied something like uh our both of our parents would have uh, killed us for, which is like arts or dance or whatever. Also, you know it's interesting. We had someone on the first season of this show, Sarah Schaefer, talk about. She's a comedian, and she talked about how she was like, if I needed stuff for my show, like if I needed props, I would just get them because I was like, the show is more important. And so I think about that a lot. Like I was that way too with creative stuff. Like if I, you know, I shoot my own short films um, and I, I'll i blow 3000 bucks on a short film, no guarantee it'll go anywhere or do anything, but I just like need to in my soul. And like, And like, it's, it's, um, I feel like creative people maybe listening can can relate to these sort of like things that maybe perhaps more uh, mathematician, people who work in labs, <laughs> they might not feel that connected to that um, aspect of it, you know?
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, how did you go from have you changed? Have you gone from I'm going to blow money? I don't have to make a short film to at least I'm going to blow money that I do have to make a short film.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm blowing money that I do have. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I try to um, do things in a way that is like very affordable and I try to budget the film and figure it out and stuff. But yeah, it is hard. I mean, I really also related to like, in the book, you're talking about type one fun and type two fun. And I am so this way where like, I think you said type two is where something you can write about. I was like, well, I got to go out and party and I got to meet people and I got to do this. And I would, you know, hop on the train at the last minute and and go into some show.
2: Yeah. I mean, that is a unique challenge among creatives, I suppose, that I hadn't considered when you first posed the question about creatives and debt. But I mean, yeah, when your your creativity and your output rely on you having these funny or profound, deep experiences, you know, might seem justifiable to run up that credit card bill.
0: It's also the type of thing um, I think, too, like when you're a creative, at least for me, you have to have a healthy sense of delusion where I'm like, it's fine. I'm going to work up all of this money and then I'm going to be so famous and this will be a great story for Jimmy Kimmel. like.
2: The freaking delusion. Creative people are creative. I know that's a redundant thing to say, but now more than ever, we have ways to make money that didn't exist. And so, you know, I think as much as I, you know, in terms of addressing the debt, I would say focus on their earnings as well because there are so many more opportunities. Like we're making money, like talking to each other, you know, that's part of our jobs And I would have never thought that that was possible before. So and that's only going to continue to change as technology advances and we become more connected.
0: So also, I was interested in the myth of if I enjoy doing something, I shouldn't get paid, which is kind of this. There's two ways of thinking that people get that's really toxic. One is, well, I enjoy doing it, so I shouldn't get paid. And two is I I enjoy doing it, so I must turn it into a job.
2: Yeah, I, I think we don't have to make money off of everything we enjoy. It could just be a thing that we enjoy. It could just be for us, our cute little secret or our way to process life and the world. For me, music is that. Music is a way for me to process what I'm experiencing as this human being on earth And it allows me to bring my emotions to the forefront and I'm happy to share it. But it's nice to not put the pressure on having to make money off of it. You know, it allows me to feel in a way free. But yeah, the other side of the coin is if you love something or you're good at it or it's easy for you to do, then it's not valuable or you don't deserve to be paid. And that I see people run into all the time. Like if something is really easy for them, they have a difficult time understanding that they should be paid handsomely for it. When, you know, they think, and I think that comes from maybe seeing people in their lives struggle to make money, like, you know, working at a plant um, or in a factory, and it was physically demanding, and that's what their parents did, and that's what their grandparents did. And so therefore, for them, this idea of making money has to come with this struggle. It can't be something they like. Singing or,
0: you know, knitting and selling your wares or whatever. Yeah, and people have no idea what to ask for, too. You know, like so many people are like, uh, this company wants me to write them a jingle. Should I ask for ten dollars? And I'm like, no, baby. You should ask for like a thousand dollars.
2: Yeah, you. I mean, you should think about it from the value that you're providing in the end, as the end result in that context, right? So, yeah, if you are writing a jingle and it's going to be played in national in a national commercial or on commercials on podcasts that the whole world can hear. Um, yeah, what is the value of that jingle in terms of the end goal, the end product?
0: Yeah, and you're not, um, you're not like a good person for being like, just take it for free. Like, you're not. I mean, I had a friend who. Uh, post for a, a photo shoot, a comedic photo shoot that she did for herself um, and a company that had she had used as a prop in the photo shoot were like, can we use this photo on our social media? And she was like, you absolutely can for $200. <laughs> and like, that's, I'm sure people would be so embarrassed but or nervous, but she was like, I paid the photographer. I bought the prop. Like I deserve to be compensated if you're going to use it. And what would you have paid a model to do this?
2: For sure, yeah, we we all need to know our worth and exercise that accordingly.
0: So where can people find out more about you and your book and your work um, and the Hell Yeah Group?
2: You can go to the yeah com. sign up for the weekly newsletter. It is an email newsletter called the Nerd Letter that goes out every Wednesday and that's how we can stay in touch. And you can buy my book, Finance for the People, wherever you buy books.
0: Thank you so much. This was fun. This was a fun one.
2: <laughs> Thank you for having me.
0: Now, here's my interview with writer, actor, and comedian River Butcher.
1: My name's River Butcher. I'm a stand-up comedian, uh, an actor, and a writer. Those are mostly the things that I do.
0: And what, okay, so we, I asked you in DMs, like, what you wanted to talk about because we want to, we've talked a little bit about, like, creatives and money on this show, but um, not with, it, just because a guest was a creative and not in a specific kind of way. So I, one thing that stuck out to me is that you were like, I would love to talk about like what even the concept of a day job is.
1: It's funny to me that we call people creatives because creative is not a noun. It's, it's indicative of a society wherein everything becomes a noun. I remember my first like understanding of day job was when I was starting to do stand up comedy at night while I went to work at a job that I didn't really care too much about, but needed to survive to pay my student loan bills, my rent. I mean, I mean, this is the existence of language. It's like, we're not, you and I are saying words to each other that we mostly agree on, but we have completely different interpretations of what they all mean. So like, what does it actually mean to have a day job? Is that something that you do to survive? Or is it the job you do? Like, it's just, I think about that because you you asked me like, to come on to talk about like how do you structure your day when you don't have like a traditional like a job that you clock into or something like that. And then I was like, Well, I'm I'm right now I'm off on script working on someone else's show. And you're like, so you do have a day job? And I'm like,
0: Do I? Especially comedians, right? The old like nineties thing is like, don't quit your day job. <laughs> yeah. Like the assumption that a stand-up comedian would like also work in an office or like also be a barista. Yep. It's been fun to see people moving more towards like my job is just like my job and then my hobbies are what I am about more so. And like, I don't really care uh, about, you know, the corporate ladder or like, you know, these kinds of things that like used to be so day y. And even when I said day job to you, in my mind, I pictured a nine to five.
1: Right. Of course. Yeah. I would say that people are actually realizing that these their hobbies are not hobbies. It's their work. (laughs) Your life's work is the things you enjoy.
0: Yes. Uh, No, we've talked a lot here about how millennials just includes the upper middle class white people of a generation. The boomers just... Well, there's
1: no real cutoff because like you can't... Like to bring up boomers, it's like, yeah, I mean, my parents are boomers. And if you talked about their like where they are in terms of class and things you'd be like oh wait i'm not boomers are not all affluent you know successful like floating through life i just don't think they buy the lie that we've been told for so long we have mutual aid that's like just growing up from the ground in social media like people are beginning to support each other in their life's pursuits
0: What's the lie when you say the lie that we've been sold? What is that lie? Well, I I
1: mean, here's the thing. There's as many lies as there are people.
0: But I think the
1: the lie ultimately is like that there is one way that there's one way I've been thinking a lot about, you know, like (laughs) I've been watching and just like that. And I think a lot about the early the first iteration of Sex in the City was born so much out of. That sort of late 90s white feminist idea of like, I can't have it all. And like today, when I think of that, I think I can. I can actually have it all as long as I am defining all. (laughs) As long as I'm allowing everybody else to tell me what all is, then I never will. It's never possible because it doesn't exist. Thank God it took it only took me 40 years to understand that, like, I can have it all as long as I define what all is.
0: When did you start being like, okay, this is how I can support myself? I mean,
1: it's, uh, I think, you know, it's a consistent check-in, you know, of like.
0: Me too. That's me too. Because I don't
1: even know if I can anymore. You know what I mean? Like I don't, right now today, like, I don't know if that's actually going to be possible, but I also am just like being patient because, you know, I'm, I'm grateful. I have another opportunity that I can do to support myself financially so that I am able to like reschedule shows when it's safer. And like, I understand and appreciate that people aren't doing that right now because that's their source of income. And like, we've been put in a real quagmire of having to to choose our personal, our own safety and the safety of others over, uh, you know, financial survival. But I would argue that that's actually where we were before we entered the pandemic. <laughs> and so I think a lot of people are realizing that because we've just sort of circled back to the time. Before the pandemic in the sort of democratic, like, or democrat. TM, like when I say Democrat or Republican, I mean the party and I mean the corporation. I don't mean individuals.
0: Oh, the people of Bad With Money know what you mean.
1: (laughs) Great. But I just want to say that to say it, you know, that that we've circled back to that time where you just go to work sick. I know they're trying to just oh, well, it's just so wild because the beginning, the Republicans are like, oh, no, don't worry about it. It's just like the flu. And now we're like, oh, don't worry about it. It's just Omicron. It's like it's the same. It's the same thing. You want people to go to work and risk their lives to pay taxes and that's insanity.
0: People that I th- see as very successful will then be like, oh, I'm like doing copy editing right now. I'm actually back at my coffee shop job. <laughs> sure, yeah. This is what people don't understand, I think, is that like, it'll be like, oh, last year I had a huge script and I worked on two shows and like, that was great. And then the next year you're like, I, got, I gotta go back to, uh, <laughs> I, got, I gotta see if that restaurant will take me back. Yeah. When you were saying, when I say, like, how did you know when you could, you know, sustain yourself? I think the the answer that people don't really understand when it comes to like creative careers is like never. Yeah. Well, I
1: I guess I would say like I totally agree with you, Gabby. But uh, my answer is actually always I'm at a place in my life where I don't need proof that I'm going to be okay. I know that I'm going to be okay. And then I also have had enough experience, failure, success that I don't see, you know, going back to a particular type of job or anything like that as a failure.
0: I saw something where um, I was reading about someone saying, you know, if you come from uh, people being angry about people coming from generational wealth who become artists. Oh, yeah. I was going to bring that up.
1: Laura Zach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, the thesis was um, actually to look at that as like when someone is free of, you know, survival uh, to pay rent in those things. That's actually what they choose, you know, and like, and that we could actually like support that as a culture. I also just, I've thought about that a lot. I used to be so resentful about, of that, of, of, you know, art school kids or trust fund kids or whatever. And then I think like, well, at least they're not war criminals. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, know,
1: at least they're just like making art and they're out of the way. Like I understand the frustration But they've at least they're not investment banking. They're not (laughs) buying up properties, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) I've really enjoyed this turn towards um, creativity and even not even creativity tied to productivity, but just like vibing. (laughs) I mean, I think
1: that's an important thing is like (laughs) it untangle it. And that's literally why I brought up the word creative is not a noun. Because like, why are we so afraid to call people artists? Like, why are we so afraid to call ourselves artists? Because like it's been mangled and tangled and turned into this elitist thing or or not enough or a luxurious thing. Like, why do we not fund art and music in schools? Because kids would actually have some like quiet time with themselves and they might actually like spend some time with like each other and themselves and what they're learning as opposed to just like passing tests all the time. Productivity is not creativity. (laughs) It just is not. If it was, there wouldn't be two words for it.
0: I also like want to call myself an artist all the time. But then I always think like, am I like a character from Rent? Like, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like I get very like. Only if you want to be. Well, actually, Mal and I just had a really, a really weird realization where we were like, because we're both like, you know, started out teenage girls. And then we were like, oh my God, we've become Mark and Roger. (laughs) I've never (laughs) seen Rent. So I have no (laughs) idea
1: what you're talking about, but I enjoy it.
0: That's okay. You, you're just, you're like a Sex in the City aficionado, haven't seen Rent. I
1: know, it's ridiculous.
0: You know, you're a complex person. Hey, I, we
1: contain multitudes, you know what I mean?
0: If somebody is like, I need to save up a certain amount or I need to like do something before I can go do my creative career, how does someone know?
1: Yeah, that's the question, isn't it?
0: It's this thing where they say, okay, well, do this and work on your novel at night I feel like there's a lot of advice that's like, this is what you should do. And these are the numbers. And it's like, that doesn't work
1: for me. I'll put it that way. It doesn't work for me. I have spent a lot of time in my life being very rigid, thinking that my rigidity and my rules and my systems are going to produce the outcome that I need. And I will tell you that does not work for me. It, for me, it does not work. It does not work. It does not work.
0: I know, but what if somebody's like, I'm I'm toiling at my job in a factory. Yeah, I want to like write my book, or I want to be making my paintings. Yeah.
1: Are you your factory job, or are you an artist? What What is your uh, What is your bar for entry to be an artist? Is it having a show at the Guggenheim, or is it being an artist? Are you in acceptance of your own purpose as an artist? And can you accept that every human being is an artist and they don't have to do anything to prove it?
0: So like my big fear as someone who's like freelance or whatever, I'm like, I live in fear of taxes.
1: Like fear of paying them, just the fact that they exist or that you have not paid them. Like, what is the fear?
0: With a desk job, which I've had, they just take it out, you know? with and then you maybe get money back. With a creative career, it's I have to keep track and then I I think the IRS is right always. So if they came to me like today and were like you actually owe us $10,000 and I didn't, I'd be like I'm so sorry, here you go. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah. So it's like how do you, you know, like I feel like it's that's one of the things that makes me feel the most unsafe about having a creative career. Sure, yeah. Like Kathy Griffin's like manager stealing all her money or whatever happened to her. I guess like I feel like I'm living in (laughs) hypervigilance.
1: Oh, sure. I mean, I used to be I used to definitely be hypervigilant around money. And I still I still have ways to go in terms of like being more on top of. I like there were times when I just did not I just kept a number in my head and that was how much money I had. Like, and that's just not good, like, financial awareness, I'll say. You know, you, you actually have to just look at the, I'll t- say this, like, I look at my bank account every day. So I know how much money I have in there. I know what goes out. I also, um, because I've worked um, in different, at varying levels of, like, Hollywood industry jobs, like, that's the, best, the most succinct way to put it. Um, like, I do ha- have, like, a business manager because I have an LLC as a stand-up comedian, and that LLC also works at, as as an actor and as a writer. So, like, I'm doing work through my my corporation.
0: Which is hard. This is how people – yeah, like, I have to – you had to be – I didn't know any of this when I started. You have to, like, know a lot of business and become, like, a corporation, and that's how you are able to do things in a way that, like – makes sense, which is terrible. Like I'm a S corp. Like, it's just like a whole thing that I needed other people to explain to me. I needed other people to help me with. But that's the
1: thing is you need other people to help you with it. And I think that's something in this society where we there's this weird, per, it, there's this pervasive idea that if you don't already know how to do something, you're wrong. And like, that's not how life works. <laughs> like, That's why we all exist. So we can help each other do things, you know, like you're not supposed to go to college and then walk out and know how everything, like everybody has to learn everything. Like you had to learn how to drive a car. I've had multiple experiences uh, with chunks of like having to pay uh, up until very recently, I had an old car. I had my car for almost 20 years. And so I had to put like, like $2,500 into it. And it was worth it because my car cost me like, $600 $600 to have that year, you know? So I was like, all right. But to me, that's still, it's a chunk of money that just goes away. And so I was like thinking about it and going like, well, it's just, you got to do it. This is the cost of the thing. And the car, you love this car. It's gotten you very far. It's totally worth it to do this. And then I got home and I had a check for $2,400. Like a work, like I had just, I forgot that I'd done the work. And that, that to me was proof in a moment that it's going to come everything will work out. I I mean, I don't like to give any advice because it it probably won't work. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, it's just what worked for me. And I don't know if it's going to work for anybody else. But the, and and this is a daily practice for me. So I, I, it's, that's the other thing is you, again, capitalist society, you cannot set it and forget it. You cannot just go like, okay, I don't think this anymore. And then you don't think it anymore. Like it is every day is a reminder Oh, I don't need society to tell me that I'm a stand up comedian. I don't need comedy to tell me that I'm a stand up comedian. Why am I trying to sit at a table of that's centered around success and punny and punny money and greed and power? I don't want to sit at that table. So why do I keep bringing a chair to that table? You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to be at that table. You know, once I let go of, oh, why do I want a society that, that is not a part of my dream for us, right? This society that like incarcerates people, that punishes people, that uh, lets people live on the street, that like doesn't give people health care, doesn't care about teachers, like doesn't care about children. Why do I want validation from that society?
0: It starts with reevaluating all of society's standards on what makes someone an artist and what makes someone valid and what constitutes proof and productivity. I had so much resentment for queer people who had mainstream success. Yeah. And I bet. so much resentment, which I have worked on. Now it's like, well, no, because that's not even the work that you would make. Right. Like, why do you want those? Why do you want success in these measurements where you if you don't even respect this why would you want it
1: Uh, a good friend of mine says that jealousy is appreciation with a lack mentality and so like when I find myself jealous of somebody else I am jealous because I think I'm missing out on something and once I go oh I think I'm missing out on something I'm not I'm not missing out on it I can appreciate it and then I can say good job buddy
0: and if those people say, if if you think about it and you go, well, but if that person who you don't respect or think their work is good and it's getting a lot of attention, if that person said, hey, Gabby, I like your work, you don't even respect them. Like, why do you care?
1: Yeah. But also, like, who am I to judge? That's the other thing, too. I'm just like, not for me.
0: Not for me. Not for me. I'm not for everyone. Certainly, I'm not for everyone. Yeah. I'm not for everybody. I don't want
1: to be for everybody. Actually, I thought I did for a long time, but I don't actually because like I see the people who want to be for everybody or are for everybody. And I'll I'll say it doesn't seem like a lot of fun. And I wish all of them the best. I don't say that from a place of like, ooh, they have a terrible I literally am like, ooh, ouch, that doesn't seem very fun. (laughs) So like, actually, let's all just make stuff. And then everybody gets to make stuff you know.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you and more about you? You
1: can find me, you know, unfortunately on the internet. I'm on <laughs> Twitter and Instagram probably too much. I am going to maybe be doing some fun things with my Instagram coming up soon, and those are at Riv Butcher, because um, somebody already had River Butcher, but um, I'll be doing an hour for the Netflix as a Joke Festival and also uh, performing on their standout uh, like LGBTQ showcase at, uh, the Greek theater. So I'm pretty excited about it. It's it's a banger of a lineup. It's basically all the queers are performing on that lineup. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, and my, my single, my solo show for that is the 29th of April. It'll be at dynasty typewriter. So come to that show.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah.
1: Thanks for having me. It's great to talk to you, Gabby.
0: What even is a day job? How much should we prioritize our nine to fives if our ambitions don't lie there? Your life's work is the things you enjoy. River's right. It blew my mind. When I was coming into my 20s in the 2010s, you could not have convinced me of this. I didn't care about money at all. I used to resent and judge anyone who asked me how much a project was paying me. Wow, you got a byline in the New York Times Magazine? How much are they paying you? Even though I had no money, that was the last thing I cared about. It didn't matter as long as other people saw me as successful, and the bylines are what made me successful, the money stuff I could hide. I wanted to accept all the work that came my way so I could make my way up to some version of success that wasn't tied to money at all. Couldn't these people see that the money I made just didn't matter? And I never negotiated because I was so afraid of losing the work that if a place was underpaying me, I was embarrassed to share what I was being paid. I just didn't want to engage with money and I felt that creatives who asked about that were being nosy and stupid. That they weren't real artists, man. I might not get paid for this now, sure, but in the future, I'll be glad I did it. I'm an artist. Money doesn't matter. But guess what? I was an artist the entire time. And calling myself an artist was not diametrically opposed to my asking to be paid fairly for my work. So, are you an artist? And what are you afraid of? I would love to hear from you about this because I know a lot of you work in the arts. Be sure to send me an email at at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voicemail if you prefer, though a lot of you have been leaving voicemails and I love the voicemails. I love them. I love them. I love them. Keep sending them so I can hear your beautiful voices. You can join our online communities, too. We are on Instagram, Discord, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. Oh, and don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. And special shout-out to the Discord. I love you guys over there. Also, Instagram is popping off, but in a kind of weird way where, like, conservatives have found it. So check that out. It's definitely interesting. Okay, thanks. Bye! Done!